This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Right now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to Finsider Radio. I am your host, MC Money, and I'm joined, as I am each and every week, by certain the creepy soccer dad and Houts. He is still off tending to his newborn baby, taking care of his wife like a good husband should be. While uh, Sutton and myself sit here and do a podcast like a bunch of nerds while our families, you know, <laughs> sit in the other room and wonder what they're going to do with their lives as they sit and listen to their husbands talk a bunch of nonsense on uh, the internet and to the Twitter fans and to everyone else. So, Sutton, here we are, four and four. The Dolphins coming off a tough loss against the Oakland Raiders. And what a, um, I don't know if it was a hard game to watch or. <laughs> I don't know. It just felt yeah. Off. It was and, it it was it was an intriguing game and like a completely miserable game to watch. Man, it was. There's what twenty one combined penalties between the two teams. So the flow of the game was constantly interrupted, but back and forth action between between the two teams. So it was kind of fun in that sense. A lot of turnovers. Finally got the offense going. So there were some there were some high points there, but. Obviously, he didn't get the end result we wanted. Yeah, so certainly the offense looked much better than it has in recent weeks. And Adam Gase said after the game that he did not scale down the playbook this time. And you could tell. You could tell the different formations they were running out of. You could tell the different routes they were running, the different plays. And the Oakland Raiders didn't quite know what to expect. And, you know, it's it's very interesting because of all people, Jay Cutler has the game of his life, basically. Um, you know, him out there, he threw it 42 times because the Dolphins were trailing. Um, completed 34 passes, very good percentage, 311 yards. He only had one sack, uh, three touchdowns, and a quarterback rating of 121.3. I mean, everyone's talking junk about Jay Cutler before he went down, right? Get rid of Jay Cutler. We want Matt Moore. Matt Moore comes in, lights it up in relief. And then he totally bombs the next week um, against the Baltimore Ravens a few days later after coming in and beating up on the Jets or, or – leading the Dolphins to a victory against the Jets. And then everyone's like, oh, we want Jay Cutler back. Jay Cutler wasn't so bad after all. And then I keep going back. I keep going back to Tony Romo on that telecast on Thursday Night Football. And it was like years and years of Dolphins fans finally heard why Matt Moore is a backup. 
And when Tony Romo said that Matt Moore was not picking up the right coverages at the line of scrimmage, when Matt Moore was not making the right checks at the line of scrimmage, when Matt Moore couldn't read the defense at the line of scrimmage, I think a light bulb went on in every, not every single, because there's still the Matt Moore truthers out there, but pretty much every Dolphins fan out there at that point realized this is why Matt Moore is a backup. And that's why Tony Romo is so good. And I don't want to go on that tangent. Um, but, but it just shows this is why Matt Moore is a backup. This is why Adam Gase was so adamant about getting Jay Cutler in. This is why Adam Gase knew right away he had to get Jay Cutler in because Matt Moore going through a whole season like that, not being able to make the right checks, not being able to read the right defenses. It's just a miserable, miserable feeling. And that's why Matt Moore is a backup and has always been a backup and always will be a backup. But I digress. So Jay Cutler, everyone's probably waiting for him to throw that interception, right? It never comes. Kenya Drake fumbles the ball, penalties on a Dolphins, this and that, and, and none of it has to do with Jay Cutler. So that part in itself, Sutton, is very encouraging. I mean, when Jay Cutler went down with the injury, he was having a great game, went down, coming back now, has another great game against the Raiders. Will he continue that good streak against the Carolina Panthers on Monday night? I think this is going to be a pass to set up the run kind of game. You just look at Carolina's front seven, the way they're playing right now. And our our running backs did, and I know we'll talk about them here in a minute, but our running backs did uh, complement each other pretty well. I, I thought, you know, Drake and Damian Williams uh, both played fairly well in their own respects. But, I again, I think the passing game is going to be the key to uh, – to this scheme here that we're going against with Carolina. I think we're going to have to attack them that way. Yeah. So Kenya Drake on uh, Sunday night football against the Oakland Raiders. Uh, what do you have here? Nine attempts for guess how many yards? Sutton? Um, 69, 69 yards. You are a amazing, amazing co-host. And this is why we bring you on the show because you can pull stats out like that. Right out of nowhere. And, I mean, who cannot remember 69 yards for Kenyon Drake? Really nice stuff there. Yeah. Really nice. Uh, 7.7 yards per carry, along of 42. And in the uh, passing game, he, he pulled in quite a few as well. Six targets, six receptions, 35 yards, average of 5.8. Damian Williams, seven attempts for 14 yards. But Damian uh, Williams made his uh, mark known in the passing game, six for six, 47 yards. So we're going to see more of that against the – Carolina Panthers this coming Monday night on ESPN. And here to join us from SB Nation is Billy Marshall. Billy, welcome to Finsider Radio. How are you tonight? Doing well. How are you guys? We are doing very well, Billy. I'm joined by Certain, and we are going to get right to business here. The Carolina Panthers ranked number one defense in the entire league, but minus eight, uh, as Sutton mentioned to me before we came on the air, minus eight internal ratio. What's the deal with that, Billy, in terms of statistically they're the number one defense, but are they really the number one defense? And with that defense, will they be able to stop the tag team of Kenyon Drake and Damian Williams? Yeah, so um, I know by total yards they're number one, but I usually like to look at the Football Outsiders uh, DVOA metric, and uh, by that metric they're actually number five behind um, four other teams. And – yeah, I think one of the issues is that they're not for- forcing enough turnovers right now in defense, especially, and uh, none of their cornerbacks have actually had an interception all year. Um, two interceptions were, uh, you know, came from the the safety Mike Adams and another one from Luke Keekley in Week One. So 
Uh, they're not really doing a great job of forcing turnovers, um, so they have to do a better job there. Um, in addition to that, uh, they're also not, they have the second most sacks currently in the league, um, but their pressure rate is kind of manufactured because they're blitzing uh, the second most uh, in the league. Um, but yeah, um, should be a pretty difficult matchup against Miami uh, because we have nothing, we have no real kind of data to collect on the two running backs that they currently have. So, um, but you know, our run defense is, you know, kind of well-established, so it should be interesting. I, I thought for a second you said that you had the second most socks. So I was thinking like each one of your players wears like five pairs of socks <laughs> each. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, it wouldn't surprise you, They have some, they, we have some did, characters on the team. So. <laughs> but you did say sacks. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so my question, yeah, 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 yeah. Good joke. Okay. So my question is, um, so Matthew had said, you know, the, the minus eight turnover uh, ratio there, what's going on is, is, Cam Newton making sound decisions. Are, are the turnovers a result of him? I, I, I saw the last game, Stewart had two fumbles. You guys have a case of fumble-ritis, and I'm going to add one piggyback question. I don't know if you heard before you uh, got logged on with us. You know, I was thinking this is a game that we're going to have to pass to set up the run. So I do think that we're going to come out currently uh, to open things up. And I'm wondering if – you're drawing up that game plan for the Dolphins. Who's the guy in the secondary that you're targeting for the Panthers? Sure. So, all right. Well, to answer your first question about, um, sorry, what was it again? It, it was about the turnovers, right? Uh, the, so, yeah, it, it's been a combination of flukiness and just some inaccurate throws. So, I, I would definitely say the Stewart fumbles were a result of some really terrible luck because Stewart isn't a running back who tends to fumble. Uh, he's been pretty reliable over his career uh, with, you know, protecting the football. Uh, and then in addition to that, if you go back a couple weeks ago when Carolina was playing at Chicago, they turned the ball over twice, which led to uh, two Chicago touchdowns. And that was essentially the result in the game. And uh, one of the turnovers was because, you know, Cam, uh, was running a triple option and he pitched it to Curtis Samuel who just completely dropped it. And the other one was when Kelvin Benjamin was running a slant and he couldn't gain enough separation. The ball just went off his hands, went up in the air and uh, went back the other way. Um, I think against Philadelphia, you know, Cam didn't have the greatest day either. Uh, you know, one of the interceptions was a result of an inaccurate throw and the other one was a miscommunication between him and the receiver. So uh, I would say he's been, you know, up and down as far as some of his accuracy, uh, concerns, but at the same time, yeah, this is the kind of player he's been throughout his career. You're gonna have to live with like the really good moments, and he's gonna have moments where he just kind of, you know, has some low moments as well, especially when it comes to his accuracy. Uh, and then I guess uh, your other question was secondary. Who are we going after? Oh, for sure. So actually. Uh, what the Panthers have been doing recently is they've been rotating Kelvin, or excuse me, Daryl Worley and Kevon Seymour as the second cornerbacks, uh, the um, opposite of James Bradbury. And Bradbury is a pretty established guy. Last week he was shadowing Julio Jones, and um, I mean Julio is Julio, so he had his, you know, he gained you know whatever production he had, and um, you know Seymour and Worley have been beaten multiple times by a different combination of 
uh, receivers, whether it's guys like Tariq Cohen running backs who are just running down the field or bigger body receivers as well, um, you know, who have like Alshon Jeffrey. So those two players have certainly been the target of opposing quarterbacks. And you saw Matt Ryan and the week before that, uh, Jameis Winston really try to target them. Uh, so that's, you know, one area where from the Dolphins, I'm really trying to exploit because um, I think a guy like Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills will cause a lot of issues for uh, those two because, uh, you know, they have a tendency to be really aggressive. And I know Parker likes to run, you know, a lot of those out and up routes where it can kind of get defenders to bite underneath. Billy, let's go uh, back to Cam Newton for, for just a second here. Cam Newton's had an up and down year last year. He struggled quite a bit. And this year he, she struggled coming out of the gates. And then he had that stretch there where he was just lighting it on fire. And now he's come back to earth down a little bit. Now you trade Kevin Benjamin to the Buffalo Bills. Christian McCaffrey is starting to hit that rookie wall a little bit where he's, um, where they're trying to, you know, keep him protected from hits. Jonathan Stewart stepping up a bit. You got Devin Funches. You got uh, Greg Olson on his way back, but you're missing him as well. All of these obviously create the perfect storm for Cam Newton in terms of limited production. But going up against a defense like the Miami Dolphins with a very strong defensive line with vulnerable linebackers and a decent secondary, uh, what do you predict for Cam Newton this coming Monday night? Yeah, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, You know, most Panther fans know that I'm a pessimist and skeptic when it comes to the team and you know I wasn't really that high on them coming in because I felt that they had added a lot of new personnel and it was going to take at least a year for them to gel Um, I also think that one of your former first round draft picks Ted Ginn was a huge reason why Cam has had success in 2015 and I know that's weird to say but uh, losing him has really kind of hampered the offense Um, so Personally, like I'm not that concerned with losing Benjamin because I wasn't a huge fan of him even coming out of Florida State. I didn't feel like he was athletic enough to be a full-time wide receiver. And um, a guy like Funches is younger and a lot more athletic, and he's able to kind of stretch the field and all over. But yeah, like if I'm if I'm worried about the Panthers' offense this week, I'm definitely worried about your defensive line because uh, you have Cam Wake on one side and our right tackle Daryl Williams. He's about average. But, you know, Wake does a pretty good job of making average tackles look terrible. So I would expect Wake to have a big game. And then, you know, we have a pretty strong interior with uh, our guards, Norwell and Turner. Uh, But we do have a backup center in uh, Ryan Khalil. I don't expect him to be back this week. So I would expect um, Nemdana Kasu to have a pretty big game as well. And I know him and Cam have had, you know, some contentious moments when uh, Sue was in Detroit. So that should be a fun matchup to watch. So certainly the Panthers decimated a bit by injuries, and we're being joined right now by Billy Marshall of Cat Scratch Reader, part of the SB Nation Network, the Panthers affiliate of SB Nation. And just one more question for you, Billy, from Sutton. Billy, I'm going back to my game plan. We're, we're passing to set up the run here. We're going after your number two corner. I do have a question about Bradbury. Does he – shadow the number one no matter where they go or does he stay on one side of the field so that's an interesting question because prior to the tampa game which was two weeks ago uh, they would usually have him you know on the left side which is typically where the number one receivers uh would go but then you saw offensive coordinators kind of um, you know 
rotate their receivers all over the formation. Uh, so then you saw him in the Tampa game really shadow Mike Evans, and he did a pretty good job of it. I know a couple times Evans beat him, but uh, Jameis Winston was pretty inaccurate when he was targeting him. And last week uh, he did a he also shadowed Julio Jones, and um, again he did a pretty good job for what I expected. Uh, but again, Julio is Julio, and he had his moments as well. Uh, but yeah, I want to emphasize that you know Carolina they've they've notoriously been you know under Ron Rivera a very heavy zone coverage team. So there's always going to be weak areas of the zone, and you've seen it like in the past, uh, really good offenses like the Saints and the Falcons able to exploit it by hitting those weak areas. Uh, this year they've, you know, have a new defensive coordinator because uh, Sean McDermott is now in Buffalo and uh, he wants to implement, you know, in a more aggressive defense, more man coverage. Uh, so that's why I think you're seeing Bradbury, you know, kind of, you know, fall in shadow number one receiver. So uh, I would expect him to probably, you know, shadow Devonte Parker. Um, and then, you know, stills, I'm not sure. And I know Landry is kind of your slot guy and that should be, uh, we have a pretty good slot corner in captain Munderland. All right, Billy Marshall from Cat Scratch Reader. Make sure you check out their website and check out their podcast. I'll be making an appearance on it this week. They're recording Thursday night, so if you're listening to this after Thursday, check it out. Go to Cat Scratch Reader. Billy, thank you for joining us here on Finsider Radio. Appreciate it. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, All right, Billy. That's Billy Marshall. All right, this should be a very interesting game on Monday night. Um, the Dolphins, you we know, we don't know how they match up against the Panthers. Really, the Panthers going up and down here, and he was. And you guys were talking about Devontae Parker there right at the end. And let's talk about Devontae Parker now because when he, this guy is healthy, he makes a tremendous impact in the Miami Dolphins offense. On a Sunday night against the Oakland Raiders, Devontae Parker targeted eight times, pulled in five receptions for 76 yards, 15.2 yards per reception along of 26, no touchdowns though, and making a tremendous one-handed catch towards the end of the game there as they were driving down the field. We all love Devontae Parker. He loves SpongeBob. He gets a little crazy on Twitter because he searches his name and then yells at people who tweet at him like he did to me a few weeks ago. <laughs> but uh, this guy has been an enigma ever since he came out of college. And Devontae, if you're listening, don't take it personal, bro. We just got a job to do here. Uh, so he coming out of college, monsterish, right? Uh, but the injuries have been nagging him ever since he came in a league. Can he stay healthy, Sutton? And we know if he does stay healthy, he is a difference maker in the offense. So with him back in a lineup, we saw this offense open up. Sutton, what are you looking for from Devontae against the Panthers? We heard that Bradbury's probably going to shadow him. Can Devontae overcome the shadow? And can Devontae continue his impressive, you know, what we wanted to call a breakout season, but we really haven't been able to because of his injuries? Yeah, I, I think there's a clear commitment to Devontae Parker now. When, when I was looking into the Kenny Stills uh, contract extension uh, during the offseason, before that happened, I was just kind of looking into things just to see how I thought everything was going to shake out. And I was kind of surprised at the end of 2016 how many games Devontae Parker was the third or even fourth most targeted wide receiver that we had, Kenny Stills took a you know a pretty commanding second place lead there next to Jarvis so I didn't know what to make of that going into this season and then you heard the offseason hype about Devontae Parker and how he was gonna you know make his first round investment worth it and 
we are going to see this monster product on the field. Then Tannehill goes down, and then you're wondering, well, is Cutler going to be able to connect with Devontae Parker the way he has with some of these other big-bodied wide receivers in his career? And it sure looks like Cutler favors Devontae. You can just tell by the target so far that he's looking Devontae Parker's way more often than not. So to have him back in the offense and to be able to be a little bit more creative with what we can do with Kenny and Jarvis, it adds a huge dimension to this offense. And I, I, that's why I was pressing our friend Billy from Cat Scratch Reader about what they were going to do in pass coverage. I want to know, is Bradbury really that good? Is he going to be able to stop Devontae? And are we going to be able to move Devontae around to, to keep him involved? Because it's clear that when we get him involved, uh, the, the offense can actually do some things. Yes, yeah, certainly. Good things happen when Devontae Parker is involved. And we saw that, of course, on Sunday night against the Raiders. Now, Devontae Parker, he's made several highlight reel catches this year, not only in practice, but in games as well. He is seventh in the NFL in career receiving yards among players who entered the league in 2015 or later, which is tremendous because of the fact of how many games he's missed. Uh, number seven yeah. in the league, 106 receptions, 1,550 yards, 14.6 yards per reception, eight touchdowns. And it's like you read this, you see this, and you're like, oh, my God, this dude can be one of the best receivers in the NFL if he could stay healthy. And that is the thing that we need to uh, keep looking at. And we're always going to keep talking about it until he can prove to us and to prove to himself that he can stay on the field for a full season or even 15 or 14 games. The best receivers in the NFL, the A.J. Greens, the DeAndre Hopkins, the Antonio Browns, you don't see those guys uh, leaving for a stretch of the season. And it's – I don't know, man. It's just – it's frustrating. As a fan, I'm sure it's frustrating for coaches. I'm sure it's frustrating for a lot of different people. They're in the Dolphins organization and around the NFL for those who, who um, support Devontae. And, and we just got to hope that he, he has it on and he continues to stay healthy because Jay Cutler needs him and the Miami Dolphins offense needs him. Now, Jeremy Bradbury, not Jeremy Bradbury, I'm sorry. Uh, I went to a school with a Jeremy Bradbury. That's why I said Bradbury there. Um, James Bradbury. So I was close. James Bradbury. 46.2 PFF grade this year, and, and that is not good. Ranked number 89 at his position out of a little over 100. Tremendous drop-off from last year, 82.4 last year. And on the other side, not much better for the Panthers. They have Daryl Worley, who is at 45.6. So we heard Billy from Cat Scratch Reader say that last year they played zone. This year play, playing more man-to-man. And you got to think that that is an issue there with these two uh, cornerbacks having such a down year because even Worley on the other side, a 74.1 last year. And, and I just mentioned that Bradbury over on the other side had an 82.4 PFF grade. So that has to be coming into play here. Can uh, We know that Jarvis can break separation down in the slot here. We know that Devontae Parker can break separation. Uh, so, and um, we, we got to hope that he has a good game and stays injury-free for the next several weeks or obviously for the rest of the season as well. Yeah. That's a pretty big yeah. deal. Yeah. Captain, Captain Marlin there in the slot there overall grade this season of 49.7. Another guy who had, a, who has had a big drop off from last year, 
74.5. But you want to get excited over that, but you can't because the Raiders were without two of their starting cornerbacks, and really the Dolphins couldn't get a crazy amount of offense going there in the uh, secondary with their wide receivers. They did most of their damage on the ground with Kenyon Drake. Again, six targets, six receptions for 35 yards. Damien Williams, six targets, six receptions, 47 yards. Total of 12 targets for the running backs, total of 12 catches. And that was a thing when they traded Jay Ajayi was that they uh, wanted more versatility coming out of the backfield. And we certainly saw it on a Sunday night. And Sutton, I did not miss Jay Ajayi on Sunday night. How about you? Well, what you saw a lot more of that, it just kind of dawned on me while I was watching the game. Like, I haven't seen that many running back checkdowns. Just think about how ordinary that type of play is in the NFL. You know, they drop back in a zone, the running back leaks out, you throw it to them, you get four or five yards, and you line back up. But how many times have the Dolphins done that this year? And it just got me thinking – I don't think it has happened that much. So to even have that happen three times on Sunday night was a welcome sight, let alone to see Damien Williams collect six catches. And I believe, did Drake have one or two? Drake had six catches as well. Yeah, so we're, we're running back tight end heavy in terms of who we were get, getting involved in the passing game. So it was kind of refreshing in the sense that we were being a little bit more versatile. So, yeah, then Devontae pops open. We got Jarvis involved a couple times, got that touchdown. Kenny, I believe, had a couple of catches as well. And then when this ball's when – this, when this offense, rather, is slinging the ball around and, and diversifying who the targets are going to, we can actually do some things. And then you saw Julius Thomas get involved. And, I mean, that was not something that I expected to see. Uh, Julius Thomas come out and play the way that he did in that game. So got to give him props too. No, we've been hard on him and he probably deserved a lot of that criticism if you ask me, but to come up uh, with that kind of performance on Sunday, that was, you saw what this offense can do when you have multiple pieces working together as one. Uh, It's been such a fracture started. It was kind of nice to see, like multiple things going on that were effective for this offense. Right, and Adam Gase said after the game, he said they finally got the looks they were looking for with Julius Thomas. The Raiders are running a cover two defense. Julius Thomas breaking open in the zone. So if the Panthers go back to the zone on Monday night, Julius Thomas should have one hell of a game once again. And Julius Thomas finally breaking free. I don't expect him if the Carolina Panthers are going to play man-to-man the whole time to really have a huge advantage because that's not really his game. His game is more finding that soft spot on the zone and making things happen from there. You know, it was a little uneasy feeling, Sutton, as we led up to Sunday night football. It was a weird feeling because when's the last time the Dolphins were on primetime like this, right? It's been quite a while. I know they have primetime games in the last few years, but really it's kind of this year you're kind of feeling a little bit different about it. So you're sitting there watching the NFL games throughout the day, and, of course, the Eagles are playing at 1 o'clock. And what do you know, Jay Ajayi, almost not right away, but, but fairly quickly on in the first half, Breaks, what, a 57, 60-yard run. And Dolphins Twitter <laughs> exploded. And everyone came out with their pitchforks. And, oh, it was ugly. And it was uneasy because I even I tweeted. I said, if Kenyon Drake or Damian Williams do not have a big game tonight, the pitchforks will be out the entire week. And uh, we were all <laughs> proven wrong. 
and uh, both these gentlemen had a very nice game, and I'm looking forward to see what they can do. And we called it, though. Both of us called it last week on Finsider Radio. We said we don't think the Dolphins' offense is going to be missing much without JHI. Well, and you, you saw that one play, man, and, and that, that was the one play that you want Drake to be running the ball in. Great trap block by Fasano. I know you know which one I'm talking about, the one that he broke yep. off the right side and just stormed up the sideline. I was hoping he was going to take that to the house. Yeah, yeah. But, man, just just to see one of our running backs in open space this year was just kind of like, holy shit, this actually yeah. does happen for teams. <laughs> so, you know, so it was it was just a welcome sight to see Kenyon out there making plays. And, you know, you know these guys are – they know this is this might be their one opportunity to really make a name for themselves in the NFL, both these young men. So I think this is a great competition, and I think they complemented each other pretty well on Sunday. So um, as long as we don't get in too many third and short situations, those are the ones that make me a little bit nervous with these guys because I think we'd put Damian in those situations where it's kind of a high-pressure situation. You saw Kenyon Drake fumble, and that was kind of a big play in the game. We had just got the the onside kick. We got a couple first downs. We're getting ready to score another touchdown when we had just scored one previously. And then Drake has that fumble and kind of takes the wind out of our sails a little bit. So I think although it didn't take any of his snaps away or anything, I think in those high-pressure third and short, those those big carries in the fourth quarter, I think those are still going to go to Damian Williams. You're right. And it was a young guy in a huge moment on a national stage. And, of course, that fumble coming at a bad time for the Miami Dolphins. And we can only think, what if? Uh, what if he doesn't fumble there and the Dolphins go up uh, by two possessions there early in the first quarter? But <laughs> you can play the what-if game all you want. And you can play the yep. what-if game in terms of drafting Derek Carr, the what-if game we're drafting Matt Ryan, and the what-if game of this and the what-if game of that. It's, you just drive yourself crazy with this, so I try not to play it too much. But it is fun sometimes. But I'm going to say something a little controversial here, Sutton. Oh, God. Okay. Let me sit down. Come on. I'm an it's old not, man now. Yes, that's right. Uh, Happy birthday to Sutton turning 35 years old this past Monday night. Uh, big happy birthday to you, Sutton, and we hope you had a ton of fun and, you know, hung out with your boys or your kids or probably more so likely by yourself at a bar as they close down and you're sitting in the corner drinking by yourself. <laughs> and just peace and quiet. It's just like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, want, I want a peace and quiet. I'm getting old. I don't want all this noise. Yeah, I just I just told all my kids to get off my lawn. And then my <laughs> my wife picked him up in the minivan and then just scooted him away. <laughs> <laughs> did, she throw, did she throw candy at them to get them in the minivan like you do to the yeah, other kids she, around the neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I mean, trick, right, or, so. trick or treat's a big holiday for us, you know. <laughs> All right, so back to my original point. I'm going to say something a little controversial here. And it's not really controversial, but it is controversial because I know people will get upset if I tweeted this right now. The Dolphins are 4-4. Four and four. The Dolphins lost on Sunday night. But for me, it felt like a little bit of a win. You get where I'm coming from, Sutton? I mean, I, I'm thinking you're feeling a lot more confident about the offense, and I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I think there were still opportunities to win this game, and sometimes those can be some of the most sour ones when you know 
you're that close to a victory and you don't get it as opposed yep. to Baltimore when you're never even in the game. It's like, screw it. And yeah, it's, you know, so I, I get what you're saying. You know, it's, it, it, it is a debatable topic just because is it ever, you know, th- there's ugly wins and then there's beautiful losses and do those beautiful losses. Can those, sometimes be better than ugly wins i think it's a great conversation to have i don't really have any hardened stance towards either one so you can your your opinion's safe in my court matthew i don't know about everyone else on twitter and on the airwaves and stuff um but i i, I think hmm. what I do you think you tell me more so so here's what i'm tell thinking and, and yeah, you kind of yeah i'm gonna tell you more just calm down stop saying it um, Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, hit the, you hit the nail right on the head, Sutton, when you said the Dolphins had plenty of opportunities to win this game. And for me, as someone who's coached baseball before, right, Little League and higher-level baseball for eh, – I probably coached it about eight to ten years in my earlier days in life when I was a teenager, older teenager, younger adult in my 20s. There were times where my team lost – but had plenty of opportunities to win. But I was able to take that, right? I was able to take why we lost, the mental errors, the, the costly mistakes, and, and use it as a teaching lesson to say, guys, we are this close to turning it around. And it, it, I just feel like against the Jets, right, against the uh, Falcons, who else did we come back against? Uh, it's just escaping me right now. What was that other Char- one? We Chargers. Came- the Chargers, the, in the beginning of the season, um, those were all ugly, ugly wins. And it was like, whew, how do the Dolphins win these games, right? This one was <laughs> a, a loss, but it's like the Dolphins looked like a competent offense and looked like an offense that was starting to come alive. And, and for me, that's where I'm getting my silver lining from, is that if they come out and play the same way, minus the penalties, which I believe – where they are, the referees are a little too flag happy uh, on Sunday nights. But if they come out the same way, eliminate the penalties, which was all on the offensive line, okay, clean those up a bit. Uh, defensive breakdowns here and there a little bit, but clean that up. Any Everything that went wrong on Sunday nights was all correctable. The fumble. Um, they, they, the Dolphins beat themselves, and that's where I'm getting my positivity from. And that's why I think they'll come out against the Panthers and give up one big of a fight. Well, and think about how the offense – I mean, think about how it would have done had we not had so many penalties. And I don't know if you remember when and how some of these penalties came about, but just take, for example, the illegal formation penalty that, that was, was called so against us in the first quarter. That was so I mean, that was a huge third down conversion. And then we're, we have the ball, if I remember correctly, probably around the 40, 45 yard line going into their territory. And all of a sudden, now you're looking at third and 11, and then we get another penalty or something like that and moves us back any, even further. And then we have to end up punting the ball. So those types of penalties are, uh, they, just, they just kill your soul. And then to see how kind of a 
penalty that was anyway. How many teams line up exactly the same way and it doesn't get called? So it was just kind of one of those, like, seriously, one of those kind of penalties. And then, you know, you, you would have two two good plays and then a penalty and then another two good plays and then a penalty. And it just seemed like the, the offensive line, I, I believe they had six of the 11 penalties. Jesse Davis had two in a row. So yeah. you just can't – it's just so hard. Think about how hard it must have been for the offense to put up the numbers that they did despite how many – times they shot themselves in the foot yeah i mean the penalties were ridiculous obviously some of them were valid but a lot of them were i mean rashad jones got called for an unnecessary roughness penalty when he was the one who got his helmet flung off yeah yeah, that was that was interesting that's all you need to know about this crew and how bad they were but anyways uh it's not anyways because they had an outcome on the game and, and their calls affected the game but that's where I'm getting my positivity from, and that's why I think the Dolphins will be okay moving forward. Listen, they're 4-4. Four and four, They're one game behind on the wild card. This season is not over. As much as people want to say it's over, it is far from over for the Miami Dolphins. And T.J. McDonald's coming back. Ted Larson's coming back. Before we talk about them, son, let's go on over to the Finsider mailbag. What do we have for us uh, this week? All right. Let's – let me let – me answer the the one question that was left for me on Twitter from our boy Nathan Rice. He asked with the emergence of Drake and Williams, how important does the running back position become after this season is over? And if important, whom you see the Dolphins looking for in free agency, a Jai mold or more like Drake and Williams combination. Do you want to take this one or you want me to answer it? No, I would like to answer it because I have the perfect answer for it. Good. All right. So, so here's, and this, I completely forgot about this. If you recall last year when Adam Gase came on to be the head coach of the Miami Dolphins, he tried to lure away C.J. Anderson from the Denver Broncos. C.J. Anderson was a restricted free agent. He offered C.J. Anderson a a good contract, and the Dolphins didn't think the Broncos would match. They ultimately did. When you think of C.J. Anderson, what do you think of? You think of an all-around back. He can catch out of the backfield. He can run through the tackles. He can run to the outside, and he has a speed to break it free. That's the kind of running back Adam Gase wants. He doesn't – he used Ajayi last year because Ajayi was working for the offense. He wanted Ajayi to improve his cat, uh, catching this offseason. Ajayi worked on it. He wasn't able to really improve on it much. And he didn't have the versatility to come out of the backfield like Drake and Williams do. So for me, Drake and Williams, those kind of running backs are his perfect type. And uh, – the next few weeks, the next eight weeks of the season are going to tell a ton of where the Dolphins need to go with the running back position because if Drake and Williams keep killing it, there's no need for the Dolphins to go out and draft a running back. Uh, there's no need for them to waste a pick on one of them. Remember, there are very few teams in the NFL today who have one primary back. I mean, I could probably name them on one hand, maybe one and a half hands. I'm just going to go down the list in my head real quick. Uh, the Steelers, one primary back. Um, the Chargers, Cowboys, Cowboys one primary back. So you got the Steelers, the Cowboys. Uh, who else here that has one primary back? Uh, the Rams with, with with Todd Gurley, the Chiefs the with, with the emergence of Kareem Hunt. Um, you you look at the other guys. The Jets have two running backs. Jaguars. The Bills have one. Jaguars really have one with Leonard Fournette. So unless you're having an elite running back, 
your your team is using two running backs. I'm just going to go down the AFC East or the list in front of me. Patriots use like 25 running backs. Bills use one. Jets use multiple running backs. So I'm going to count the ones that have one primary back only, okay? Let's make it easy on ourselves. Bills. Chiefs. Um, Steelers. Let's see. Titans pretty much all. They are starting to mix in Derrick Henry a bit. Jaguars. Uh, Eagles use a bunch. Cowboys are six. Rams are seven. Even the Seahawks use multiple running backs. Cardinals are eight because they primarily lean on their main guy. Um, just going on the list here. Chicago is nine. And that is it. Nine teams in the NFL, from my opinion, use one primary running back. Everyone else mixes in multiple guys. And there is no shame in that at all. All right, that was a long answer to a short question. Next one up, what do we got? <laughs> well, I mean, just the point you're making is it's it's not necessary to have a, an elite running back to have a quality rushing attack. It can come in many forms, so it's not necessary to have uh, the stud, although sometimes that's nice to have. But anyway, uh, let me get to a question from Dolph Fan and KY. He says, hi, guys. Would it hurt to give Allen and Anthony a chance at linebacker? Maybe on passing downs at least. Timmons have been beaten many times this year. Could it hurt any worse with Allen and Anthony? As you got to this first question. He's got multiple. What, what was that you said? You broke up a little bit. Okay, so his first question is, would it hurt to give Allen and Anthony a chance at linebacker? Maybe on passing downs at least. Alonzo and Timmons have been beaten many times this year. Could it hurt any worse with Allen and Anthony? Nate Allen he's talking about? The injured guy? No, um, Chase Allen, I believe. Chase Allen. Oh, God. Oh, God, no. 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 It wouldn't be better. Next question. Yeah, I I wouldn't like (laughs) Chase in a passing situation. Yeah, no, Um, these guys are back for a reason. Yeah, and I'm not sure about Stefan Anthony, though. Why Why would we give a fifth-rounder for a dude that we're not even going to even take a look at, it seems like? Here's here's my thought process on, on this guy, on Anthony. Um, and this was a kind of a light bulb moment for me. I think they're really saving him for the future. Um, Timmons' contract is up in the air now with a mess because he skipped out on the Dolphins in week one. So the Dolphins don't have to guarantee him that money next year. So if they want to, they can move on from him after this year. And I know they got him for insurance reasons because of Timmons, but I think Stefan Anthony is going to be someone who fills in for Timmons once Timmons is gone. So uh, this fifth-round pick the Dolphins gave up, I don't think we should maybe expect much from Anthony this year, but perhaps moving into the future and next year and beyond, he might be that guy there that is opposite Kiko and Raekwon McMillan. All right, I got some more questions. You ready, bruh? Yeah, you can go ahead with this one, though. All right. Could we give Asiata a shot at guard, maybe on running plays to start? How bad could it be? Apparently pretty bad. I mean, if, if he's not earning snaps, that we, ha- we would have every reason to play this guy if he were good enough. I mean, he's a rookie, and if he came out and played well, it would make the front office look smart. We'd have a young player starting. The fans would be happy. Everybody would be happy drinking beer, spending money, and booyah. 
the perfect storm, but that's not what we're seeing going on right now. We're seeing how they're kind of looking at this more as a red shirt year. Um, and that seems like how that's going to play out to a T. And that uh, is unfortunate because Clyde Christensen said they want this to be a red shirt year for him. But if we saw him play this year, it can go a long way to solving uh, problems on the offensive line because we know that's going to be a big point for the Dolphins to emphasize this coming off season. All right, let me throw this last one to you. Can Scott give us a boost at wide receiver? So he's talking about uh, Rashawn Scott. <laughs> he did beat – Man, it is, it is backup fever today on Finsider Radio. What is going on? Here? He did beat out Carew last year, right? That, oh. that, that's yeah, towards the end of the season, I guess. Yeah, I, I don't um, – I don't know that it partic- that competition particularly means that much right now considering – our fourth wide receiver doesn't get on the field all that often. And if it is, it's usually someone like Jakeem Grant where you're kind of trying to do something different package wise. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No. All right. I got one on Twitter all from right. JT Seymour. Do the Dolphins spend another okay. first rounder on an offensive lineman or do they spend some money on guard in the off season? We know that Gase and company have been very cheap on guards in the past two years. I think this is the off season where they finally say enough is enough. We're going to spend some money and get some experienced guards in here. Uh, hopefully, Asiata can take one of the guard spots so they don't have to go crazy with money there. And then hopefully, they can fill the right guard spot with a free agent, a, a veteran free agent who is well-established. And I do need to point out that Richie Incognito is still playing well in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also has one more question. Xavier Howard's had another super costly penalty. What does it say about him that Tinkersley looks so composed? Fins up. I don't know. I mean, Xavier Howard seems to not get his name called a lot, and then when it does, it's like, oh, my God, are you kidding me, Xavier Howard, at this moment in the game? You're absolutely right, JT. But I think the Dolphins will continue to work with him. They really don't have many other options. And we do have more questions in the Finsider mailbag. Sutton just informed me that the mailbag is full this week, so we'll try to get to as many as those before the show goes off the air. But before we do that, before we go back to the questions, I just want to talk about Ted Larson here since we're talking about offensive line, and then T.J. McDonald. Ted Larson was uh, ready to play this past Sunday night, but the Dolphins kept him out. Sutton, he is coming back here the offensive line. Guru, he is coming, probably going to play left guard in replace of Jesse Davis. What kind of uh, things can Ted Larson bring to the offensive line? I mean, it's, it's amazing that we're, first of all, talking about him like he's a savior when we all were saying <laughs> at the time he was a terrible free agent signing. So what gift there, Sutton? Man, it's it's hard to tell how this is going to play out, to be honest with you, because we haven't really seen that much from him up to this point. And it's all kind of speculative based on what he's done in the past. We don't really know. We, we know Gase has some familiarity with him, but we don't know what he's going to bring to the table in terms of, you know, is he in the proper strength and conditioning at this point uh, with, his, with his rehab? I mean, is he in game shape? I mean, he hasn't been able to play in a game. And we had talked – with Randy McMichael before the season started, how there was a little bit of a difference between, you know, being in shape and being in game shape. You know, you have to be able to play a couple games. So wonder how much of a better product Larson would be in there compared to Jesse Davis. And yeah, Jesse Davis has certainly had his ups and downs, but I don't see treacherous guard play from him, to be honest with you. So I, I would hope that Ted Larson gets in there. If Okay, let me backtrack real quick. 
if Ted Larson starts this game, it's a great sign for us because that means he's ready to go and that he's the best player that's going to make the best offensive line considering the fact that he hasn't had many reps with anybody so far this year. So if he starts, it's a great thing. If he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. You're right. And this offensive line is very good at pass protection. They have improved greatly. And it's kind of funny, ever since Chris Forrester got fired, they've improved their technique quite a bit in that area. They're very much still struggling in run and run blocking. Hopefully they do improve and become good, um, good offensive linemen in that area as we move forward throughout the season. But, uh, you know, we'll see what Ted Larson brings to the table. Can't be any worse, right? On the other side of the ball, T.J. McDonald's coming back from his suspension. The Dolphins love this guy so much. They gave him a contract extension while he was suspended. I mean, how many times do you see that in the NFL, especially for the Miami Dolphins who want to see their guys perform and perform well and be a good person in the locker room? So they must really love this guy. So he is eligible to return, and I think the Miami Dolphins are going to put him right in there on a Monday night against the Carolina Panthers. He is a hard, hard hitter, and it just reminds me, it's so funny. Remember when he knocked Jay Ajayi out in practice with a concussion because he hit him so hard oh, yeah. with the helmets? I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, now we look at it like, oh, Jay Ajayi's not a teammate. Well, who gives a crap about him? Um, <laughs> no, it didn't really quite think. work like that, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I expect him to play. But, you know, for me, Sutton – do you think with, with the way that Michael Thomas is playing, he's playing pretty well. Do you think they bring – would you consider bringing in T.J. McDonald, Michael Thomas, and Rashad Jones, then bringing McDonald down in the box? Obviously, you're taking out a linebacker, so you're probably taking out Maluga, but he's a great run, run, uh, run defender. Would you take out Kiko? Um, and I wouldn't be opposed to taking out Kiko because he is absolutely brutal in coverage. Or would you take out Timmons or we just rotate these guys in and out and have McDonald uh, play man-to-man on the tight ends there? Uh, uh, what do you think about that idea? Or do you think the Dolphins are going to just put him back there in center field with Rashad Jones and let him play ball? I mean, it's fun to think about, and especially if we can get teams in obvious passing situations, you want your best secondary players uh, back there. So it would make sense. For us to, you know, maybe show like a three-two-five look, so you know, dollar formation. So if, maybe if we went that route, then yeah, you could see that personnel on there. I, I find it highly unlikely though, just because some of the stuff that I saw from Michael Thomas. And don't get me wrong, love this guy, love who he is for this team. Great special teams guy, um, can play nickel slot. He's versatile. Obviously played free safety for us, but I saw plenty of plays where he's like 30, 40 yards off the, off the ball. So he's not really affecting the play in any way other than playing a deep center and just hoping to not get exposed. So I, I think that was done deliberately. You saw the, the, the touchdown run that Marshawn Lynch had oh, yeah. in, in, in the third quarter. <laughs> he, just, he just got frozen open space. Uh-huh. And Lynch just ran right around him into the end zone. And again, have a ton of respect for what Michael Thomas brings to this team. I don't think he is leaps and bounds above uh, some of the other players and what they can bring that we would need to have uh, that type of package on a consistent basis. Um, so I, I really just look for TJ McDonald to just step right in and, 
I don't know if you remember in the off season, we had heard the term left safety and right safety. So we're not right. talking free and strong and having different responsibilities here. Like everybody's right. doing, everybody's doing everything. And when I looked at McDonald's tape coming into this year, I got pretty excited about this guy and he, he has range and I I've seen the Rams line him up at middle linebacker. Um, so this dude can do different things for your defense. And I think it's just gonna, I, I think Matt Burks has got to be licking his chops, uh, being able to really dig into this defensive playbook and open it up a little bit. I think it's going to be a good thing for us. Listen, the defense certainly can use some help. They can use a spark coming in, but so can the offense. So for you, Sutton, who's going to be the bigger spark, Ted Larson or TJ McDonald? I think it's definitely TJ McDonald because even against Oakland, and yeah, Marshawn Lynch had two rushing touchdowns, but if you go back and just look, they only had three yards per carry, and Marshawn Lynch had probably five or six carries for 10 yards in the first half. So we made the team one-dimensional, and we need to be able to shore up when they do go to that passing game. Are we able to make enough plays to get off the field third down freaking killed us in the first half especially so to have somebody like T.J. McDonald to be able to he could cheat up to the line of scrimmage and and blitz off the edge he's he's a pretty lethal blitzer he's not quite as good as Rashad but he's not far off either but he has I think he has a little bit better range on the deep end compared to Rashad we saw him get a little clumsy in coverage uh, with that long touchdown pass that he gave up in the second quarter. Um, So to have TJ be able to, to be back there and maybe make more plays on the back end, which opens up Rashad to, to really open up his strengths, which is closer to the line of scrimmage, man, it just, it just opens things up. Just that in itself is such a huge thing for the defense. All right. And yeah, speaking of the defense again, you know, going from the secondary all the way to the defensive line, Charles Harris um, still not showing up in the box score like many fans probably want him to for a first-round pick, but still making an impact uh, in terms of pushing the pocket back to the quarterback. We saw the pocket get pushed back several times with Derek Carr, forced to make bad throws and, and results in incompletions. What have you seen with Charles Harris so far? And I know we do have a question on Charles Harris in the mailbag, so this will cover that yeah, one as well. well- yeah, Wild Zion Beaver was asking about Harris and if we can get the most out of him. And I like what I've seen so far, to be honest with you. I, I know that probably setting the edge and, and some of the nuances of being a professional defensive end, um, he probably doesn't have a complete grasp over just yet. But when you look at some of the pass rushing repertoire that he has, the, the spin moves that he's been able to kind of evolve – into the NFL game. And I, and I think Cam Wake, even in his rookie season, admitted that, you know, he was always just one half step away from making that big play. And then he finally learned how to kind of close that inch a little bit faster and, and make that play. And I think Charles Harris is going to be able to do that same thing because he gets to practice with Cam Wake every day. So you have to like what you've seen so far in terms of just the the pass rush itself. The box score stats aren't showing up, but he is generating the pressures and, and, and he is altering plays uh, with how he's executing his pass rushes. 
Totally agree. All right, what else do we have from the Finsider mailbag sign? All right, we got something else from Wild Zion Beaver. He was asking, let me get to it, sorry. Uh, Cutler was drafted by the Denver Broncos in the first round of the 06 NFL draft. He actually looked good throwing to his tight end. Who turned their light bulbs on? I mean, familiar or not, but how many years are we going back? So just talking about uh, being able to get Cutler and and Thomas synced up. What do you think about that? Well, I don't think it was just a matter of just something sparking. Adam Gates said it himself after the game. They finally got the coverages they wanted to get Julius Thomas in, and it feels like Julius Thomas is dependent. His success is dependent on the coverages that they, the other team shows against the Dolphins. And I think we're going to see Julius Thomas go up and down throughout the rest of the year. I think that's just the way it's going to be. The Raiders played cover two, so Thomas was able to expose his own, and the Dolphins were able to move the chains that way. All right. Um, Thea- Theodore Smith asked, do we get shut out? I really don't think so. I know we're upset with how the offense was looked up to really up to week nine. And then when we saw that performance, I think we're feeling a little bit better about things about not getting shut out. Christoph has a question. I'm going to let you answer this one, MC Money. You ready? <laughs> yeah. I'm just picturing his voice in my head. Do you want me to try? No, I can't. I, I don't even know if I, I was going to offer to impersonate him, but I don't even think I can do it. Just sound high do and you drunk. Think, do you think Cutler's performance <laughs> in, the, in the Raiders game changed anyone's perception of him? <laughs> that, is, that is absolutely perfect. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> All, right. All right, so – I just want to make sure the rest of the podcast doesn't take three hours for the rest of this question, so let me just read it. <laughs> Singh, Singh is not only did he have a career game while still being pretty banged up, but he, but he did so by choice. Singh as the staff was willing to give him more recovery time, and he kind of told them, no, he wants to play. Reminds me of a certain quarterback we have many of a discussion about. So what do you think? Um, did you think Cutler playing after those crack ribs changed uh, the perception about him? He's always been known as a tough guy. I mean, it's just been that if you ask anyone who played with him, they'll, every single one of them will tell you that he is one of the toughest players that they've ever played with. It's the perception of the fans and him just being out of the game in big spots while he was with the Chicago Bears that have kind of tarnished him that way. So for me, I've always known Jay Cutler to be tough as hell. The players he's played with have always known him to be tough as hell. And I think maybe the media perception is starting to turn around just a little bit. Um, have a have a question from CJ Fitz nineteen. He just said, "Not really a question, but more of a discussion topic." Does anyone else get the feeling that we could play spoiler versus Carolina? This is a classic trap game for them. Why are we playing spoiler? We're four and four, one game out of the wild card. No one's <laughs> playing spoiler. Well, um, CJ, I get Fitz what he's is, saying though. Yeah, well, and he's he's a classy guy on the fin side. I like him a lot, uh, but this can't fall into the definition of a trap game because Carolina has a bye next week. And I think by definition, the trap game has to be something they're looking forward to the next week, which would make them, you know, kind of disregard us for whatever reason. But I don't think they, obviously they want to have some rest during their bye week, but they don't have another team that they're particularly fixated on. So I, I, I don't think this is a classic trap game and, 
in any way, I think will have Carolina's full attention. Yep, I completely um, agree. asked something else. With the recent cut of Bennett by the Packers, what are the odds that Gase dips his hand in another familiar face at tight end? Bennett was one of Cutler's favorite targets in Chicago, just saying. What do you think? Bennett and Gase hate each other. <laughs> Not happening. And, I, it's I would, that, and I Christoph, say, it's, yeah, it's that simple, Christoph. Eat it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to pull up the quote right now where he called out Gase and had an argument with Gase while they were in Chicago together. Um, oh, hey. You know, uh, hey, Adam, Gase, ta- Adam Gase said this about Martellus Bennett, March 29th, 2017. He said, being around Martellus Bennett requires thick skin. I mean, Martellus Bennett did say that Adam Gase's offense empowers tight ends, but I don't know. I, I don't know. But but from what I've heard, they don't get along, and they did um, they did jaw at each other quite a bit. And I, Adam Gase just um, – Got rid of someone who he drawed with. I don't think he's going to bring him back. All right. I have, oh, you're mentioning arguments. So it's perfect that I ask you this question. And this is all you. This is not up my alley at all. Miko Grimes, Omar, <laughs> Kelly's, Omar Kelly's fault. To what degree should we hold Omar Kelly personally responsible for helping encourage the monster of awfulness? That is Miko Grimes. The same reason I should be held accountable for uh, the demise of FinnManiacs.com, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> dumbass. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, you got you to gotta give Omar Kelly a, a, a nice little fault in this. Miko was outspoken in Atlanta, so it's not like it's as new for her. But Omar gave her a platform in Miami. But then again, this 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 person was always crazy. She's always been crazy. She got a little crazier in Miami because she had a bigger platform. The platform is gone. Now she's trying to get back on the platform. She's just a freaking nut job. I have nothing to do with her. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad she's somewhere else. Um, uh-huh. Okay. S- same dude asks a more football-related question. Why does it seem like we have been able to cover tight ends for, oh, a decade now? Yeah, it seems like it every year, right? That <laughs> cover tight end. No matter who the coach is, no matter who the linebackers are, no matter who the defensive coordinator is, no matter which way you sit on the sofa or which jersey you wear when the Dolphins play, the Dolphins cannot cover tight ends. I don't have an answer for that because I wonder the same thing every single week for the past 12, 15 years. Yeah, I mean, you ha- you have to like McDonald coming into the lineup, and that- that'll help us be more versatile. We've already touched on that. At the end of the day, it's going to be up to the linebackers. They're the ones that are going to be matched up on the tight end more than the safeties will be. So you're just going to have to hope that Kiko Alonso and Lawrence Timmons are able to shore up the pass coverage a little bit more I feel like Timmons has dropped off a little bit to what to what we saw early season, but uh, Kiko, I think, has really regressed over the last couple of weeks and past coverage, getting picked on a little bit, and sure seemed like I, I think Jared Cook was on pace to break the single game <laughs> receiving record after that first drive. I mean, if he kept up that pace, if he kept up that pace, I think he would have had like a thousand yards. Wow. So. 
it was kind of unbelievable to be honest with you. So it's really still going to come up to the linebacker unit. So having McDonald in there is certainly fantastic, but the linebackers are going to still be the, the main responsibility of the tight end. Yeah. So we have two questions from Redwood. I'll throw the first one to UMC money. I'd like you to discuss Adam Gase's play calling against the Raiders in the first half. It was all dink and dunk except for one pass greater than 10 yards. And yet the offense did move the ball pretty well. However, in the second half, the dink and dunk stuff did not work, and yet Gase stuck with it, refusing to throw any longer passes to soften up the Raiders' already suspect defense until it was too late. Also, Gase calls run-draw plays on first, second, third, and long, and receivers are constantly running routes short of the first down marker. Will the offensive coordinator, Clyde Christensen, call better games than Gase does? Um, well, Gase will never give a play from my first of all. He's never gotten to be a head coach. And I do agree that the Dolphins should have probably taken more advantage of the depleted Raiders secondary. I don't know why they didn't. Um, I, I don't know because I don't know what was called. I don't know the coverages. I don't know everything else. But I, but I do agree with that. I, I do completely agree. I don't think Clyde would call better games. Uh, because I, Adam Gase, remember, that's why he's here in Miami. But um, – yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know. Okay, last question from Redwood. I'll go ahead and take this, and then I'll let you close up the show there, brother man. Where, yep. will, Te- where will Ted Larson slot into our offensive line once he does return to action? I feel okay about Jesse Davis at left guard based on what I've seen from him so far, but I don't know if either Davis or Larson has the ability and experience to slide over to right guard because ultimately – we should be benching Bushrod and starting Davis and Larson, in my opinion. Please comment, question mark. <laughs> I, I kind of agree with his latter thought there, and I know this is a little disheartening for someone as immature as myself to get rid of the name Bushrod on the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Just devastates me. I really like to be able to talk about Bushrod in a socially acceptable manner any time that I, I, I damn well please. But no, his, his play has – it's not been very good. No. It just, there's, there's just no other way to slice it. You know, last year, PFF was real down on him. Gas, Gase, sorry, Gase was a little bit higher on him, said he was, I believe, the second or third-rated offensive lineman. So when I looked into it, I, I found that it was a little bit in the middle. You know, it wasn't quite as bad as what PFF said. wasn't quite as good as what Gase said. You would expect Gase to do something like that because he loves his players. Well, he has Bushrod come back, so I don't think Bushrod is losing his job this year. I think I think Bushrod is the starting right guard till the end of the year, and then I don't think he's coming back. All right. Time will tell. Time will tell. All right, before we sign off the air, Sutton, for this week, uh, can the Dolphins turn the season around, or are we, should we panicking? Um, is, is it too early to begin, begin panicking? Absolutely not. I mean, four and four, think about that. Obviously, we'd like to have a better record. And what's kind of encouraging about all this, though, and this is going to seem like a totally twisted point of view coming from most Dolphin fans, but we kind of have to become delusional over time to make sense of all this. But if we do make the playoffs this year, 
it's because we beat some good teams down the stretch in moments where we're not supposed to beat good teams. So if we're able to, you know, so long story short, we have Buffalo and New England for the last six games of the season. We play at Kansas City week 16. We still have the Denver, uh, their defense coming up. So really we have Carolina and then we have Tampa Bay. And then after that, it's New England twice and Buffalo twice and Denver and Kansas City all sprinkled in there. Gonna be tough. So we're going to be playing some big boy football and we're going to have a true barometer of what's, what can we project this team is going to be going into 2018. If we don't make the playoffs, what's the narrative going to be in the offseason? Are we the team that turned it on and still gives the fans hope? Or is it the team that just seems to squander every opportunity and we weather away? It's going to be fun as hell to watch, and I can't wait to, to see it all unfold. But I think it's very premature to say anything about how this season's going to end because we've only played half our games, and there's so many different ways this season can turn out. And I don't think you could have said it any better, and I completely agree with everything you just said. So the Dolphins got the Carolina Panthers this coming Monday night on ESPN. Dolphins in primetime for the third straight week. Hopefully they can make that a 1-2 and two record instead of an 0-3 and, and then continue on the rest of the season moving forward, racking up win after win as they march on towards a potential playoff berth. For starting the creepy soccer dad, I am MC Money. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next week. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Forecast. It's not Voltron.